I'd like you to turn with me this morning in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses uh, 29 to 32 this morning. We've been talking about what is the church last Sunday and today, and for three more Sundays anyway. And um, I realized as soon as I got into the topic that it was uh, going to require narrowing down. There's so much about the church, but I really am focusing on the local body, the local assembly, as a microcosm of the church universal. And uh, each local assembly should reflect a certain wholeness like the church, the total church, that uh, manifests the body of Christ and His attributes and, and His gifts and His ministry one to another as He has given each person in the body uh, certain gifts. But I'm not focusing on that giftedness or those ministries, but on the attitudes uh, that need to prevail and the attributes that need to prevail within the local church that will make it a vibrant kind of church, a church where the Holy Spirit is present and active, where we recognize His power, where we have a sense of His presence with us, where we have vision and uh, a positive kind of uh, anticipation of what God is going to do, a church that's healthy, a church that reflects the glory of God in, in the midst of its people. And... Uh, This morning I want to focus on the topic, a church is a family that forgives one another. And uh, it's another topic that as soon as I got into it, I realized we cannot plumb the depths of this subject. It goes in so many different directions uh, and it affects so many different parts of our lives. I want to look at uh, some of the... uh, some of the ingredients in forgiveness, if you please, and how it affects us in the local body. But before we get into that, I just want to mention two books to you. Rowena called my attention to these, and uh, I was reading them in preparation for for this message. And i got to tell you, I can recommend them without reservation, Uh, which when I say that, by the way, doesn't mean uh, 100% concurrence with everything. I'm sure you're aware of that. But anyway... Uh, I have not seen a finer book than Nancy Lee DeMoss's book, Choosing Forgiveness. Um, She covers the subject in depth with good exposition and lots of illustrative stories and puts it together in a way that uh, brings it home to the heart of every person. And this does expand the idea beyond the local church because... Uh, Our hurts and wounds don't just come from within the church. In fact, ideally, none of them would come from within the church. Uh, But they still occur, and and her book covers uh, those that occur um, throughout life. And then R.T. Kendall, Total Forgiveness. Um, Again, another excellent book. Both of these lay the emphasis of forgiveness on the person who is hurting and that's where it needs to be, as we'll see in a few moments. And it, uh, it, uh, both of them uh, lead us from personal experience and from a scriptural standpoint 
uh, into understanding the necessity and the grace of being a forgiving kind of person. But if you'll look with me in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 29, I want to talk about the application to the church. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. I've said by way of introduction, essential to a unified and harmonious local church body is a ready and willing spirit to quickly forgive each other. The focal verse this morning is verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other the same way that God in Christ has forgiven you. And the word that is used there is only used twice in the New Testament, in this passage of Ephesians and also in Colossians. But if you uh, have any familiar ring to some New Testament uh, Greek words, you'll recognize this. Karizomenai, or zomenoi, charis is the, the, the root concept of grace and uh, the idea of mercy and, and tenderness and um, just God's love being uh, shown in favor. But it also has the concept of to give or to release um, mercy and favor and grace. The most common New Testament word for forgiveness is afis, and that word at its root means to let go. It's used over a hundred times, and where it's translated forgive, and in that hundred or so times, it means to let go of something. So both of these words have the concept of releasing or letting go in a spirit and attitude of grace and mercy that is being extended to another person. Let's look at the general context and then we'll kind of drill down into verse 32 a little more closely. Paul says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. In other words, watch your mouth. Uh, James says the tongue is a very small part of our body. But like the little rudder on a relatively big ship, it turns the whole ship. Or like a tiny spark that can set on fire an entire forest, our tongue, being a small member, has great impact. And it can cause great damage. And the tongue uh, is an unruly member. James says, no one can tame the tongue. And if anyone could bridle his tongue, he would be, uh, of all people, most highly disciplined and, and capable. But in fact, we need the help and aid of the Holy Spirit to bridle our tongue. But let's face it, 
while hurt and suffering and injury can come from a lot of different sources, uh, if you were to categorize all the different ways that we hurt one another uh, by things we do or things we don't do or things we forget to do or all of those kinds of things, um, probably the largest category is through things we say. And uh, Paul is telling us that there, there is no excuse for ever having loose lips and a lax tongue. That we ought always to be conscious of what's coming out of our mouth. Notice that he puts it this way. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Um, it may come to your mind. <laughs> But it should not leave your lips. It should not come out of your mouth. Um, we need to always have the guard of the Holy Spirit upon our lips. We need to constantly be monitoring our speech. Because if we're not, we're inevitably, as the proverb says, with, the, with uh, many words, sin is inevitable. If you're always jabberjawing thoughtlessly, you're eventually going to hurt people. Just because you're going to say something stupid. And, uh, and, and Paul is just trying to help us recognize that we have a responsibility around one another to speak words that build up, that encourage, that edify, that um, give grace uh, to the ones who hear. Words are powerful things. And we need to always, in the body of Christ, maintain a holy respect for the speech that we have. And then he says, uh, right after that, consequently, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit becomes grieved in your life, you're out of fellowship with God. Things grow rather quiet on the, the, the God front. And uh, we come into a place where it's hard to connect with Him. But imagine when a whole church is suffering from grieving the Spirit of God. The church becomes lifeless. It becomes dull. It, it's powerless. Uh, the Spirit of God has pulled back uh, His energizing, life-giving presence. And there's a reason for that. We're supposed to wake up and say, Hey, we're dead. What happened? What do we need to fix? Because something's broken. Um, but... Paul does not want the church to come into a place where the Holy Spirit has been grieved. And we can grieve Him with our words and with our attitudes toward one another. And so he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other the way that God in Christ has forgiven you. Yes, he's been roaming around there for a while, stomping. <laughs> we have these black ants that run around the building that are about a half inch long, and they're creepy. But anyway, um, I'm sure that's on tape. That'll be interesting for our listening audience. Um, what was I saying? Forgiveness. Out of unforgiveness, bitterness is born. And with bitterness comes its fruit, anger, wrath, malice, abusive speech, um, 
all of these kinds of things, slander, begin to rise from a heart of bitterness. And bitterness arises from an unforgiving spirit. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, do not allow a root of bitterness to spring up in your life and thereby many be defiled. You know, bitterness is an interesting thing. Uh, it, it affects you in, in many ways. Um, it holds you in bondage. It changes your countenance. A, a person who lives a life harboring bitterness, their face literally changes over time. Their mouth takes on a scowl or a frown. They, they get those worry lines and wrinkles and the furrowed brow. And they, they, their, their face itself uh, looks like an angry person. Uh, they're holding inside something that is eating them from the inside out. And they don't even recognize it because they have not been willing to yield the bitterness into forgiveness. And Paul identifies this. He says, let the bitterness be put away along with wrath and anger and clamor and the things that come out of it and slander and malice. Instead, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other the way God in Christ has forgiven you. So let's talk about forgiveness a little bit. What is it? What does forgiveness do? And what does it not do? First of all, it's not, I put down here it is a choice. It, it is a choice, but it's not, it's not a choice that you can choose. <laughs> you got me? <laughs> no, that's silly. Um, forgiveness is a commandment. We can choose to obey or disobey. But God gives us no option relative to forgiving. It is a commandment. Notice that verse 32 begins with the word be. Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted. Be forgiving. These are imperatives. They're commandments. We are being told to take this action. To be forgiving. To make the choice to forgive. It is, it, that brings it within the realm of our personal responsibility. You know, we can spend our lives blaming other people for our issues and our problems. But carrying around bitterness and harboring a, a, a hardened heart uh, and, and malice that comes from the fact that we've been wounded and refused to let it go. That is entirely within our realm. We have the choice to make whether we're going to forgive or not. It may surprise you that forgiveness does not be, need to be requested in order to be given. The person who has hurt you never has to ask you to forgive them in order for you to forgive them. Think of Jesus being nailed to the cross. These Roman soldiers are pounding spikes into His arms and into His feet, into the wood, 
And the last thing on their mind is asking this criminal, as far as they're concerned, to forgive them. But Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They didn't ask for it, but He gave it freely. Because forgiveness is not something that needs to be requested. We can give forgiveness if no one ever asks. It does not need to be received in order to be effective. Have you ever had the experience of going to someone uh, with whom you've had a problem and you want to straighten it out and, and, and you want to uh, say, you know, I forgive you, and they look at you like, well, I can't imagine why. I didn't do anything wrong. Now you got another problem you've got to forgive because they don't even know they caused any trouble. Or if they do, they don't care. And all of a sudden you find yourself dealing with a person who is indifferent. They don't want your forgiveness. They don't need your forgiveness. They don't even know that they've bothered you. Or if they do, they could care less. But it doesn't have to be received to be given. You can release someone from the debt, whether they ever accept it or not. It is rooted, forgiveness, the choice to forgive, is rooted in God's forgiveness of us. It comes from His gracious forgiveness. And you know, Jesus says uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, as He uh, gets to that place in the model prayer, and forgive us our debts, our sins, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. After the model prayer, he says, For if you do not forgive men their sins, neither will your Father in heaven forgive yours. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that um, if you're a child of God, a born-again child of God, and you refuse to forgive, that you're going to go to hell? No, that's not what that means. But what it means is, is that the unwillingness to extend forgiveness, first of all, puts you in an adversarial relationship with God. And now you've got a problem with God. Because you're at odds with Him. He has forgiven you freely and you're refusing to forgive. And so as a consequence, you're in a position where your fellowship with God is broken. Furthermore, there's a sense in which the capacity that we have to forgive is in large measure dependent upon our awareness of how much we have been forgiven. The Scripture says the heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Have you ever peered into the abyss of your own dark soul? Have you looked down that deep pit, the bottom of which you cannot even see? Because who can know the deceit of the human heart? If you have not recognized how much God has forgiven you, if you have not realized how much grace He has extended to you, you're going to have a difficult time giving it away. You're you're not going to connect with 
you know, you're going to be locked up in legalism. You're still going to be bound in the idea an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And by golly, he did that to me and I'm going to hold out until justice is served. I'm going to see that he gets what's coming to him. I want him to be punished. I want him to suffer. I want him to experience uh, all the pain that he's caused me. It's only fair that that happened. Do you have any idea how much pain you've caused God? Are, are you aware that He can be hurt? Do you know what your sin has cost Him? And how much He was willing to pay to cover your sin and forgive you and release you and set you free and welcome you back into His fellowship? People that don't understand that harbor this demand for justice when they would never want that from God. They want mercy from God, even though they want justice from everyone else. And the reality is that our capacity to forgive comes in large measure from the awareness of what we have been forgiven. So, I have a definition here for you, and you can take it or leave it. It's my definition. But as I've thought about it, I tried to put it in a, in a sentence, that forgiveness is a choice of the heart to face the hurt that another person has caused you in all of its depth and life-altering ramifications. Let me just stop there a moment, and, and you need to think about this. In order to let something go, you have to know what you're releasing. You have, you have to have a sense of what you're going to let go. You have to take the time to, to get a handle around to articulate the way that you have been hurt. And how it has impacted you. You have to have a sense of what it has done to you. If you don't have that awareness, you can't be free of it. So first of all, you have to face the pain. You have to get in touch with your heart. And you have to ask the question, in what ways has this hurt me? Why has it hurt me so much? And and how... How has it changed my life? How has it affected me? And then once you're in touch with all that has happened as a consequence of this other person's action, then to fully and freely release that person from the pain their action toward you has caused. To let it go. To release them. To say, Lord, I do not hold this to their charge. I believe it's in Nancy DeMoss's book. She tells the story of uh, a friend whose mother died in a very um, strange circumstance. Um, her mom and dad, this friend's mom and dad, had been married for about 42 years. And they had a particularly good marriage. It, it was uh, rich and full of friendship and, and enjoyment of one another. They were very close. 
And uh, one day, uh, the, the wife was experiencing chest pain, and he took her to the hospital. And it was determined that one of her arteries was closing down, and so they uh, said it's important that we do emergency angioplasty. And uh, the cardiologist uh, began the procedure, and uh, in his haste, he inflated the balloon too soon and too rapidly and ruptured an artery in her heart. And within three hours, she died. Until the chest pain occurred, an apparently healthy woman, now she's dead. This man's beloved wife, because a doctor made a mistake. And it filled him with anger and rage that his wife could be ripped from his arms by the the foolish haste of an incompetent physician. That was the essence of his feelings. And so, as time went along, he demanded to have a meeting with the hospital administration and with the doctor and with others in the cardiology department, and he was going to go to that meeting. He had been boiling with rage, and he was going to go to that meeting and tell them, with his attorney, what he was planning to do to them, to destroy the doctor, to have his license, to punish the hospital, to get retribution, to sue everybody. And um, he was a believing Christian man. And on his way to the meeting, the Holy Spirit got a hold of his heart, and he realized that his bitterness and his anger was destroying him. And when he walked into the room where the meeting was to be held, he walked right up to the cardiologist that had made the mistake. And he took him by the hand and he said, Sir, I have come to realize that unless I forgive you, I will never be free a day in my life. I cannot go forward unless I release you. And so he said, I forgive you for what you've done. And the doctor sat and wept for nearly two hours. And there was healing in the room. But the person who walked away with the greatest healing was most likely the husband who realized that in giving up his demand for justice and, and releasing his bitterness, he had found freedom. Forgiveness is freely letting go. So what does forgiveness do when you do that? First of all, it restores you back to a right relationship with God. Uh, now you and God are back on the same page. This is how God acts. God is forgiving. How many times has God forgiven you? How many times has He forgiven you for the same thing? How many times have you gone to God and say, Lord, it's me again. I've done it again. And He forgives. 
Now, he's not blind or stupid or naive. He's not ignoring the fact that if you've done it many times, you've got a problem. But he forgives. And forgiving someone else puts you back in the same relationship with God as he himself is with you. It brings you back together. God understands the hurt. God knows the pain. God can share that. God forgives freely. Now you're forgiving freely. It brings you back into fellowship. It also prevents you from developing bitterness, which will poison you and damage everyone around you. Remember the writer of Hebrews. Don't let that root of bitterness spring up, which will defile many. It will wreck you and defile others. Uh, one of the, the quotes that I thought was so fantastic is that bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping someone else will die. Think about it. It's like drinking poison and then hoping someone else will die. Guess who's going to get affected? And what's all too often the case is the other person doesn't even know you're suffering from the poison you drank, hoping they would die. They're just going on blithely through life as if nothing ever happened. You're not bothering them a bit. The only person suffering and in prison is you. So it sets you free from the bondage of the offense that has kept you in a prison of rage and anger and wrath and malice, the seeds of self-destruction. If you harbor the bitterness, if you over and over in your mind, this is what they did to me, this is how I'm going to get even, this is what they deserve, it keeps you up at night, it troubles you when you're driving, it comes to you at the oddest times, it leaks out as a, as a rage that's free-floating and unassociated, you're screaming at drivers and yelling at other people and fussing at everybody and your life is just sour and bitter and angry and you're the one that's in pain. You're suffering. They're not suffering. You're the one in prison. You're the one in bondage. And so Paul says, let it go. Let it go. Release them. There are some things that forgiveness does not do. It does not bring reconciliation. Many people are disappointed to learn this. But forgiving someone else does not bring reconciliation. In order for reconciliation to occur, they must recognize the wrong as well and come in repentance in order for the, the healing to occur between you. There are people you may forgive with whom you may never reconcile. Because they have not entered into and participated in the healing process. They have not owned up to what they've done. And so as a consequence, uh, there's no reconciliation. Don't expect the fact that you forgive someone... To reconcile the differences. It releases you. It does not necessarily release them. Recognize that it does not satisfy restitution or restoration, which may be a needful component of repentance on behalf of another. Remember what Nicodemus said when he went home to have lunch with Jesus? And if I have taken anything that doesn't belong to me, I will pay it back four times. 
That's repentance that brings restitution. But here's the ironic thing. Cash or work or whatever will never compensate for the damage to the heart. People are often surprised to find that when a criminal who has affected their family by his actions is ultimately prosecuted and sentenced, they still suffer the pain and the bitterness. Because it does not release you. People that have won lawsuits and get the cash settlement realize it doesn't bring back life. It doesn't restore what was broken. And it doesn't recover the years of suffering. And so as a consequence, you're still suffering. Even though you've got a full bank account, you're still suffering. Because... Restitution does not necessarily heal you. Only forgiveness will release the flow of God's grace. Even though restitution or restoration may be a part of the repentance of another person. And it does not remove the legal and societal obligations of the offense. I mentioned in the earlier service through the years I have seen a number of people ultimately uh, arrested and convicted of pedophilia and sent to prison for a number of years. Maybe that's necessary. Maybe that's where they need to be. Even if they themselves have repented, maybe they still need to go to prison. Maybe they need to work through some things with God in that place. But here's the interesting thing. The person who has been abused, that does not heal them. That does not solve their problem. The only thing that will solve their problem is when they are able to forgive and let go and release the offender. It's not the conviction that, that solves the problem. And, 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 and forgiveness does not satisfy the requirements of the law, which may still need to be met. So in conclusion, I've said forgiveness maintains a right relationship between you and God, removes the emotional obstacles which obstruct healing and restoration of fellowship, while preventing you from being destroyed by the damaging poison of bitterness. Within the body of Christ, we need to be kind, tender-hearted, ready to release one another. Not keeping a record of wrongs suffered, not holding a grudge, not bearing the, the pain, but releasing it and letting it go. And having an environment where healing can occur, where reconciliation can potentially happen, where we manifest the love of God by the way we treat one another. I have been forgiven. I forgive you. I release you. Paul says that's essential to the health of the body. And if we're not practicing it actively, we will ultimately grieve the Spirit of God in whom we have been sealed for the day of redemption. That's not something that we want to have happen. Are you holding something in your heart?
Are you harboring and nurturing a hurt that you can't let go of? I'm not saying this is easy. Please don't think it's I'm glib saying, well, all you got to do is say I forgive you. No, no. It's not easy. I've told you my story, but after I chose to forgive two men that did such damage to my life and to our congregation in Tennessee, I had to revisit that choice every day for about a year. And then it became a couple times a week, and then it became once a week, and then it became once a month, and then every once in a while, until I can tell you now, I have absolutely no bitterness. I harbor no resentment. I don't hold anything against them. But it took a long time of purposing. To the depth you are hurt, to that level, it requires persistent obedience to the command of God. But once you align yourself with Him and make the choice, God will give you the grace to let it go. And in doing so, release you from prison. Father, thank you for your word to us. Minister to us in the power of your spirit and teach us how to be a loving, tender-hearted, kind, forgiving fellowship where hurts are not nurtured and scores are not kept and grudges are not born, but where we quickly release others from the pain they have caused. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.